Hi there, it's Mike Williams from Genesis. Welcome back to Investor Insights. We're glad you can spend a few minutes with us. You know, today's episode is called Good Luck. Uh, it's a, uh, a rendition of some morning notes that we sent to clients recently, and it has some pretty important things in it. Uh, I'm going to mention a chart that I really want you to have your hands on it. If uh, I'm going to describe it to you and the data in it and what it means for us as investors. But I'd like you to take this email down in case you'd like a copy of the chart. I am more than happy to send it to you. Uh, just send a note, hey Mike, give me the sentiment chart um, and uh, send it to info at genesisinvestor.com. That's info at genesisinvestor.com, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, investor.com. Happy to send it along to you, but for this purpose, I'm just going to describe the data to you. Um, Longtime followers of this podcast and our our work uh, know that we like to watch consensus. We like to watch the crowd consensus. We like to watch Wall Street's consensus. We like to watch the sentiment surveys. But most importantly, we mesh the sentiment and the answers to those surveys to money. You see, it's a funny thing about answers to surveys. Good or bad, if they're not followed by money, either in or out of the market, sentiment doesn't mean much. So when we get sentiment and money to end up on the same side of the table, it really presents a very dynamic opportunity. So let me tell you where we are right now. Uh, The latest consensus sell-side sentiment came out from Wall Street. It's usually a quarter lagging, so this is 90 days old, but it doesn't change that quick. What does that mean? Consensus from Wall Street sell-side analysts. Those are all the guys that work at the big Wall Street firms who tell clients what to buy and sell. They're the sell side, meaning they either promote a stock or they don't. So they're selling to their clients. And in that process, by understanding what they're selling, You can also put on a scale of 1 to 100 how much they feel their client should be exposed to the marketplace. And interestingly enough, you will find that the low readings on lower amounts of money exposed to the market are bullish and the high readings are bearish. Now in this particular chart, the highest reading on record is 71. Now, what's fascinating about that highest reading is that it took place at the very tip-top of the tech bubble in the year 2000. The lowest reading on record is 43, and that took place when Greece was going to destroy Europe and take the entire planet down, as absurd as that sounded, back in 2012. Oddly enough, they felt worse then than in 2008 and 2009 when the whole world really did come to a stop. In 2008 and 9, their sentiment was a reading of 53. Now what's interesting about all of that is today, today, the sentiment is 51 and a half. <laughs> now think about that for a second. 51 and a half is lower than it was in 2009. And that was over 10,000 Dow points ago. In other words, the market has more than doubled. And the Wall Street crowd is telling their clients they should be a tad bit more concerned 
today. They haven't been bullish. They haven't come close to the numbers that uh, that existed at the top of the tech bubble. In fact, they haven't even come close until now to the numbers they felt in 2009. Now, the other fascinating part about this chart is if I gaze back to the early 80s, the sentiment they have today is the exact same sentiment that they had in the mid-80s and the early 90s. That, too, was thousands of points ago in the Dow. So what I find interesting about this is that while we have $8 trillion sitting in consumer bank accounts earning nothing, we also have very timid sentiment. There are no raging bulls out there. There's nobody saying they're going to quit their job and trade stocks. There's nobody saying, great, let's buy tech. Interestingly enough, the NASDAQ is at a new record high. But nobody wants that anymore. See, they think everything is risky. Now, given historical sentiment readings, what this implies is that they won't feel good until many more thousands of points have arrived in the marketplace. The funny thing about people once they're terrified is that it takes a much higher price to get them, quote, feeling good, unquote, again. And people only invest their money when they feel good. Now, that's a major, major mistake, but that's what they do. Our business, our opportunities have arisen because of those aspects. I'm going to bring you up to a point with what I mean by that. Just this past weekend, um, the uh, Oracle of Omaha, Omaha, as he's called, Warren Buffett, had the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Shareholder Meeting. And that's always a big affair. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, they all get in front of the press and they let people ask them questions. And here's what I found fascinating about this particular weekend is that uh, one of the analysts there uh, thought he would be smart enough to ask them a question that they certainly wouldn't know the answer to. Well, he wanted to ask them why they invested in IBM. I mean, after all, why would Warren Buffett want what is now 11% of the entire company? Berkshire Hathaway owns 11% of IBM. Think about that. <laughs> they own a tenth of the entire company. Now, this analyst said, you know, don't you understand that uh, IBM has long lost its prime? I mean, it's way, way in the dustbin. It, had, it has no clue of the tech world today. It's got no social. It's got no Twitter. It's got no Facebook. It's not got no high-tech stuff. They're just a bunch of computer sales guys. And here's what's interesting about the response. Uh, Charlie tapped Warren on the shoulder and said, Warren, I got this one. And he had a one-sentence response. And here's what, his, here's what his response was. If people weren't often so wrong, we would not be so rich. I'm going to repeat that again because in it is the magic of Wall Street. If people weren't often so wrong, we would not be so rich. <coughs> now, if you're chuckling about that, in it is a great amount of wisdom built on making billions of dollars by taking advantage of what the crowd does wrong all the time. They get scared at lows and they love stocks at highs. The good news is, is nobody loves stocks right now. 
So if you're afraid about the next crash in the market, you're early. Okay, sure it'll come. It'll come when everybody loves it. You know when it'll come? It'll come when nobody asks about when is the market going to crash again. Because everywhere I go today, in the first two questions, one of them is always, when do you think the market's going to crash again? Of course, I don't know the answer to that. But the point is, is that it's a sentiment. That fear is so deeply seated that it has caused everyone to stay back on their heels while the market has rallied 10,000 plus points. That tells me there's many thousands more before they're really going to start feeling good again. So that's something to take advantage of. So think about it. Here we are, May. It's time to sell in May and go away, right? I mean, that's obvious. Everybody's nervous. And quite honestly, some of them are selling. Because the market's going to go down in the summertime. That's what they've been taught. Strangely enough, they take a huge sigh of relief that they miss it when they come back. When they come back, the market's already back up and they didn't have to suffer through that terrible old summer swoon. But here's what you miss when you miss the summer swoon. You miss cheap stocks. And any long-term investor will know that the best advantage we have is to be a long-term investor, meaning take advantage of things when they feel bad. And summer swoons are a great thing to feel bad about. But in the process of preparing for the sell in May process, we've already seen tens of billions of dollars leave equity mutual funds in the United States. The new brilliance is everywhere else in the world is better than the U.S. <laughs> That's probably going to end up as poorly as it has for the entire history of the stock market. But that's another podcast. Think about the action, though. They want to sell before May because they don't want cheaper stocks in the summer. <laughs> They'd rather wait till they get back and it's back up and they buy them at regular price again. I'm going to give you a kind of an analogy. We play a joke on people. Imagine for a second you've had your eye on this red Bentley in the Bentley sales dealership. And you say to yourself, honey, I worked my whole life. I'm going to go get that Bentley. And then she kicks you in the ass and tells you you're not going to. But then you go by there anyway. And you know what? The Bentley sales guy says to you, hey, Bob, listen, this summer, right now it's May, but in July, if you'll wait till July or August, the Bentley is going to be 20% cheaper. Now, most people would go, fantastic, I'll see you in August for 20% less on my red Bentley. But this is how we act about stocks. When someone says stocks are on sale, we say to them like we would say to that Bentley sales guy, you know, you know, Frank, I'm glad you told me about it being on sale, but here's what I'd rather do. I'd rather go away in summer and not worry about anything. And rather than get a 20% reduction on my red Bentley that I've been looking at for years, I'd rather come back in October and just pay you regular price. I'd just rather pay you that extra 25 grand or 50 grand or whatever. Imagine how foolish that sounds. I mean, how much are you laughing right now? But believe me, we do that every single year, every single time there's a problem in the stock market. That's what we're saying. I'll buy this stuff back when the future's more clear. Well, you know when the future's more clear? When things cost more. When markets have already rallied back. 
and when you can't get cheap stocks anymore, that's when you're going to feel better. That's when the crowd feels better. But remember what Warren's partner told us. Remember what Charlie said. The next time you're afraid of investing or you're afraid of the future, remember what these two old guys who have created billions and billions of dollars in wealth by taking advantage of the crowd. Remember what Charlie said to that analyst when he asked him why he would do such a foolish thing as to buy 11% of IBM. Charlie said, if people weren't often so wrong, we wouldn't be so rich. So listen, think about that. Let it sink in. Take the tidbit of magic out of that and realize that the way, the way we create wealth is we think long-term, we're disciplined, we're patient, and we don't do what the crowd does. In fact, we take advantage of it when they make mistakes. Hope you'll join us. See you again on the next podcast. Have a great day.